Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Oh, yes, it does. And live from the NASDAQ market site, overlooking a remarkably clean and spiffed up Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee tonight. Your traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and also Savita Subramanian, head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at Bank of America Securities. Tonight on Fast, we've got Apple soaring to a new all-time high. It is now a $300 stock, if only by a whisker. Is there any juice left in Apple's record rally? We're going to dig in on that. Plus, Tesla has a new biggest bull on Wall Street. We'll tell you who sees another 20% upside for this rip-roaring stock. And later, it was one of the best-performing sectors of 2019. And we have the one chart that shows the biotech boom may just be getting started. We will bring it to you. But we kick things off with a record start to 2020. Sea of green on Wall Street today. The S&P, the Dow, and NASDAQ all, all closing at all-time highs. So should investors just keep riding this record wave, or is it time for a new strategy for a new year, Steve Grasso? Can we just sit tight and be happy, or what do we need to do? I think you can, but all traders are not back until Monday. This is still a holiday week. So think about what worked last year. That's what worked today. Tech. Industrials actually are ripping today. Communications ripping today. So I do think you can sit back, but beware of a sell-off Q1. Dan? Does that, does that sound a little ironic, the way I say that, and a little, yeah, little pensive? Yeah, but yeah. yes, you, you do have an opportunity to buy a dip in Q1. But I remember you saying, so last time I was here, you were saying basically the same thing. Beware the Ides of March, basically, True. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not particularly healthy to have these mega cap names, Microsoft, Apple, double the performance of the S&P on the opening day of the year. It probably doesn't get much better than that. I don't mean that they're not going to go up further from here, but that concentration of those mega caps has been an issue, right? They're increasingly, if you looked at what Apple did, it was obviously going to 300 today. What did the S&P 500 do in the last hour of the day? It kind of yeah. dragged it up here. So that sort of performance reminds me a little bit about what worked in late December uh, 2017 into 2018, and we had an S&P 500. We had a NASDAQ up 8% as we headed into the bulk of Q4 earnings in the last week of January. So these sorts of setups are really treacherous in a lot of ways for a lot of investors, because if you didn't do a whole heck of a lot in a year like last year when the S&P was up 28%, you didn't do anything basically to reduce your risk, you're going to start thinking about it now. But to Steve's point, if everything is going to continue to work until we have a reason to sell, and that may not be until earnings, it's kind of hard to get out of the way in the meantime. We've, we climbed a wall of worry, Karen, in, in 2019 that was basically defined by trade. Mm-hmm. It now looks like there has been a breakthrough on trade. Maybe that wall of worry is Maybe it's still there, but maybe it's not as steep as it was. Maybe it's not as steep. I mean, we have a, a, a supposed date... For a signing of mm-hmm. the first of the phase one, whichever that is, I don't even know. Well, I don't even know what's in it. I, I, I'm not that impressed. Well, then anybody whatever. knows what's in it. Well, really it's a secret yet. deal. It's very secret, and we may never know what's in it. So I'm a little skeptical on that. Clearly, if there were troubles there and that didn't happen, 
we would see a big whoosh down in the market. But, I mean, Dan touched on it. When, when Apple's up like, on no news that I saw today, no news, Apple is now worth, you know, however many billion dollars more. That's scary to me. I do own it. I'm a little nervous about it because when you have a big run-up into earnings, that bar is higher and higher. And they could, if they keep running up like this and have a blowout quarter, still might not be enough to sustain where it is now. So I hate when the market moves like this on... I understand. Oh, no news. Doesn't it give you a little China, faith, though, that you're starting to see, you might see a, a little bit of a multiple expansion with Apple? I know it's for We've value. We've seen a person. multiple expansion. Right, right. For, but for but, that to I continue. Why. I, it's, been, it's been deserved. The mix of the business has definitely changed. To- I totally get every, yeah. everything, everything that would worry you, and, and Dan said it too in the past. It is still a hardware company, but when you look at services and that number at $46 billion, when you look at streaming al- along with that and everything else that seems to be clicking, that to me means further multiple expansion. I wouldn't be nervous about it. Mm-hmm. We save the guest for last. <laughs> Best for last. Best for last, well, guest for last. You know, I, I, I think I agree. Today is kind of a vacation day. I mean, it's a pseudo-vacation day. Most people aren't sitting at their desks. The traffic was great coming in. (laughs) Exactly. That's the tell, is that nobody's here in Midtown trading. And I think that the moment of reckoning comes next week. And our models, so we track, you know, a variety of predictive signals, and our best short-term predictive signal is earnings revisions. And what we're noticing is that earnings revisions, there are more downward than upward revisions over the last 30 days, and actually that revision ratio is trending way below average, which is never a good sign for the next couple of months' performance. So I think we're going to see an up year again, nothing like last year. It'll be too much to expect that you would have a year like this year. I think that would be... Kind of, I mean, I don't know what gets us there. Maybe if interest rates go to zero or negative and there is literally no place to go except the S&P 500, maybe we get another blockbuster year. But I, I do think that the first quarter is going to be a little bit messier. Than, I guess I remember. Was it 07, 08 that was the, were the two big back-to-back years? In the yeah, 07. Hey, you know, yeah. Karen, Karen made a really good point, I think, piggybacking on what Savita just said. You know, when you go, you have this big run into earnings season. Expectations really high. It sets up as a difficult setup. And I'll just say this. If you're a management of a company and you realize that your stock price dramatically benefited from multiple expansion the prior year when you did not have meaningful earnings growth, and now you're going to guide for 2020, in the next few weeks, you're likely to be a bit more conservative than you would be otherwise because the pain that you will feel if you get that wrong, right, if you actually give overly aggressive guidance and then not only do you miss, but then you have to guide down again for the full year, that's how stocks get put in penalty boxes in a meaningful way. So I I just think that the idea of conservative guidance for at least the first half of 2020, especially as we don't know what is in that trade deal and when phase two comes, that will continue to be a headwind. I leak at least on management, how they think about capbacks in the first half of the year. I said 07, 08. I'm older than I thought. I was thinking 97, 98. Oh, 97, those were, 98. The, those yeah. were big back-to-back. Yeah, but 06, yes. 07 were good years, and yeah. well, the market topped out in 90, November 07. The 96 and 7, yeah, I think. Yeah, so, well, 98, the, uh, the Russian debt crisis Russian debt happened on, uh, in August. It was 96, 97. They those were, were big were, years. Were, were the big years. Mm-hmm. All right, we're talking earnings here, and on that note, earnings could be uh, a big X factor that uh, pours cold water on the record rally, or not. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange with some thinking on that. Hi, Bob. Hello, Tyler. Good to see you. What a difference a year makes. So remember, on January 1st of last year, the market was pricing in an earnings recession and maybe even a real recession, and stocks were pretty cheap. 13 times forward earnings. Fast forward one year, 
Essentially, the opposite is true. The recession, of course, didn't happen. The earnings recession didn't happen either. The economy is strong, but stocks have gotten rather expensive, 18 times forward earnings, a little pricey. The issue is whether we can finally return to earnings growth after an essentially flat year in 2019. Most strategists are expecting mid to high single digit earnings growth. That would take some pressure off of that high earnings multiple that the market's got right now. Early reports from companies reporting at the end of November are kind of mixed. There were big names out there, FedEx, Nike, Micron, General Mills, Carnival. They all saw their first quarter earnings estimates reduced by analysts after those reports, while a few like AutoZone and Costco are seeing some earnings estimates increase. The overall trend, she pointed this out, she's right, somewhat lower than expected for earnings growth. Looking at the risks in 2020, markets are at new highs because many believe the risk from trade and tariffs is lower. That's a big factor. Second, the risk from the Fed raising rates also lower as they will likely remain neutral. Decent job growth, the risk from the U.S. consumer also a little bit lower. That's why we're at new highs here. But there's risk elsewhere. Buybacks, for example. Corporations have been buying back stock for 10 years, but there may be a limit to how far that can keep going. The belief that global growth is bottoming and turning around, I find high risk. A lot of people believe that it's unlikely 2019 will be a bottom in the global economy. Nothing's really changed in Europe, for example, with very few structural reforms. Another issue that is showing up a lot among strategists is wage growth. Many believe wages will likely be higher in years to come putting some pressure on margins. Tyler, not out of the woods yet. All right, Bob, we're going to kick that around a little bit here. Uh, so, Dan, do you agree with what Bob just laid out? More moderate uh, uh, earnings growth this year. Uh, moderate earnings growth, not more moderate, but moderate earnings growth. Uh, and, and some of the threats that he sees. Yeah, well, I think he actually threaded the needle pretty well there. When you think about, again, going back to last year, the S&P up 28%, no meaningful earnings growth. We know that we actually had the benefit of the tax cuts, kind of, you know, we, we, we know what global trade and tariffs, what it did to that. If we have only moderate, low single-digit earnings growth in 2020 and a lot of those other headwinds that Bob just laid out hang around the rim, that's where you get to Savita's uh, scenario where maybe you have an up year, but it's going to be single digits, that sort of thing, and then you're really playing for 2021, a new administration, or maybe a continuation of the existing policy here, but more clarity. So to me, I think that you're going to have a lot of those uncertainties sticking around, and you're going to have much more moderated equity gains if you do have equity gains this year. And I don't like to see them front-loaded in January. That yeah. doesn't But I do think if you have the uncertainties, I think that's what makes the market go higher. I think once you have some of this smoke clear, that is a sell-the-news opportunity for me. And I think that was, that's why it was genius to roll out trade in phases, because it keeps the bears back on their heels. But you want to know something really weird about 2019? Even though trade was the big negative over you know, the world at large, the best set of stocks in the S&P 500 were the stocks with the highest foreign exposure. The best performing sector was technology, which is right in the crosshairs of this trade war that we're supposed to be having. So I don't think that 2019 saw that reaction to trade. I mean, I, I think that we just faded that, and tech and foreign-exposed stocks actually ripped last. It was more Fed. So, so you're, it was you're more not, Fed. I'm not sure I'm trade. understanding what you're saying, you, you, that... that the fact that, that trade may be phased in over, that trade deals may be phased in over three stages or however many stages there could possibly be, right. uh, do, you don't think that was calculated to help the market? I mean, do you? Why? Why wouldn't it be? I, I, I don't know if it was or if it was or it wasn't, but it has because 
for all of us at this table. In other words, you still got the worry of... The term of sell, sell the news, buy the rumor, yeah. sell the news, exists for a reason. So once you get a quote-unquote trade deal, I think it's a super signal to be a seller mm-hmm. of the market mm-hmm. versus yeah. you know, me, being, me being caught on my heels. If you have a phases of a, of a deal... You always have something to worry about. Yet. You always have something to worry right, about. Right, so the longer you have something you can't to get climb complacent. a wall of worry for, the higher the markets go, because then you have people saying, short it, and they have to scramble the cover once things come out that are more positive. So, Savita, either pick up on that thought, or let me come back to, to a point you made just a moment ago, which is the idea that earnings revisions are coming down. There are more negative revisions than positive, which it was like you and Bob Pisani had just talked to one another (laughs) because he listed six or eight. Maybe you bad. (laughs) You little cheater, you. Uh, They don't call you savvy for nothing. Uh, uh, There he goes. They had a long list of of ones that have have negatively. Right, 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 right. So, I I mean, and I think this is kind of the standard setup early in the year is that everyone kind of guides down on pretty aggressive earnings estimates. I mean, the street right now is forecast 10% earnings growth for 2020. And I think that it's, you know, I don't, I, I think we could get to 8%, but maybe not 10%. I think where the street is overly optimistic is on buybacks because, and Bob mentioned this as well, but I think that, that the street is forecasting run rate buybacks similar to what we saw in 2019, which was a record year for share buybacks. And I don't think we see that again next Why year. Not? Why not? Well, for a bunch of reasons, the most important of which is that investors don't want companies to buy back their stock anymore. So in our fund manager survey, one Why of the questions that? we Why ask is, is, well, because balance sheets are, are at leverage ratios that are close to 2007 levels, close to 2000 levels. They're close to like market peak levels. We don't need any more leverage. We don't need any more equity reduction. We need companies to pay down debt rather than buy back shares. So that's reason number one. And then reason number two is that share buybacks haven't actually been generating alpha. So if you looked at the stocks that did the biggest share buybacks last year, they didn't actually outperform the market. And if companies are, are continuing to do this, they're continuing to spend capital on buying back shares and juicing up their per share metrics, which in a way is lining their own pockets. Um, All shareholders' pockets, yeah. though. No, it's true. Yeah. But but I do think that the, the market is looking less favorably at that aspect, especially given how high leverage ratios have, have grown for, for certain areas well, of the market. Well, buybacks and earnings are two things that may not live up to Wall Street's expectations this year. So what else is out there? Let's break out our 2020 contrarian playbook. You just looked right into it for one of those right there. Steve, kick us off. I know you have some so, things that... So that, I think the, the element of a new year, let's buy the laggards, let's buy the things that haven't performed. What hasn't performed? It's been energy. Energy hasn't performed in the last 10 years, the last five years. But you do get these tradable spots, XCC, RIG, WPX. You can buy them, but they're simply just trades. The, 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 these stocks, RIG and WPX, have been up 30 to 35% in the last month or so. That's a trade. That's not a long-term investment. So I don't think that energy will lead this year. I think it will continue to be a lack. Sort of a sucker's contrarian. Draw, draws you in. It's great for a trade. But most people that buy energy buy it for a long-term investment. These are the people that bought ExxonMobil or the Chevrons of the world. These companies aren't what they once were, and I don't think they're investable longer term when you go down the ladder to 
to a lot of the E&P companies. Karen, you say abroad is where we might well go? Yeah, I think, I mean, the U.S. has been a, the, the best place to be by a lot when you look at a lot of different metrics, whether it's, uh, you know, emerging markets or, well, China is considered, I guess, an emerging market, but there, it's done, it's outperformed dramatically. And I just don't think that will continue. I think, for example, the U.K., we could see some clarity, we will see, some more clarity on Brexit in pretty short order. And almost regardless of how it ends up, I think clarity is important. And that they can, that will help. I mean, the U.K.'s sort of been sideways for a while. So that's a huge economy. Yeah. And so that would be some place that I think could outperform. Japan, I think, could be another, another uh, market that would outperform. So I feel like we have had a really, really good run here. And I'd rather be looking out elsewhere, even if it's more higher out on the risk curve. Dan, yeah. you say 5G is overbought. Oh, and you were right, 97, 98. 97, yeah, 98. Yeah, I just want to clarify. You just stepped all over my thing here. <laughs> oh, Wait, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, 5G. <laughs> Listen, Wall Street loves to sell people buzzwords, right? Yeah. And 5G has been one that's been working for a long time. And if you've been around as long as, let's say, me and Grasso here, you remember when <laughs> 2G was going to be the big thing. Then 3G, Rotary, G, everything. They always take longer than they're expecting. I think what's really interesting about 5G is that if you're expecting a handset like upgrade super cycle because of that, I wouldn't be betting on it. I would also say, and this is one of the things we said, we just talked about Apple. Apple was up 85% last year on earnings and sales growth that were flat year over year from the prior year. I think it's incorporating a lot of excitement about a 5G phone at the end of 2020. I don't think that's going to be a big driver for this company, especially for a company that has not grown iPhone units for three years. So I think about that, and I also think about semiconductors, and I think about you know, obviously that has been the play, and the SMH, the ET you have to track semis was up close to 70% last year. It's up 2.3% on, on, on 5G. But here's a really important fact, because let's bring in the trade thing here. You know, Huawei just introduced a phone. It's an iPhone competitor. It's called the Mate in China. It does not have a single U.S. chip in it. So as long as our trade war goes on, the likelihood that we might have saw some double ordering last year into 5G handsets into China could be a thing. You could see semis slow down meaningfully if we don't see the second half uh, demand for U.S. semis for 5G phones. I just don't think it's all going to happen the way people think it is. So I wouldn't be buying on January 2nd semis in Apple for a 5G rollout at the end of the year. And the other aspect about this is the carriers, especially here in the U.S., they're really bad at this stuff. You know, we have 4GE, that's 4G for evolution. We have 5GE for evolution. You know, they're just not going to be there yet. This is not going to be a meaningful reason to upgrade your $1,000 handset at the end of this year. Did any of you all notice that Ryan Seacrest is still out there? Crazy. (laughs) He's still standing standing there still. Greatest story ever told. Right? right. Unbelievable. (laughs) All right, coming up, our call of the day, why one analyst thinks Tesla Tesla, even after its recent run, has almost 20% upside from here. And later, shares of China's JD.com soaring to start the year. Why one options trader says this rally's just getting started. We're live from Times Square. Ryan Seacrest, he's back there. (laughs) Carson Daly's coming. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. 
Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got a news alert on the pharma company Insight. And Meg Terrell has the story. Hi, Meg. Hey, Tyler. Well, we're seeing Insight move uh, to the downside in the after hours as it announced a large uh, phase three trial uh, in what's known as graft-versus-host disease failed to meet its primary goal. Now, graft-versus-host disease is essentially an immune reaction that can happen after a stem cell transplant. And you are seeing Insight down there almost 10% now. This is off a market cap of more than $18 billion, so quite a sizable move on this unfortunately disappointing news. Tyler. All right, Meg Terrell, thank you very much. We'll talk more about biotech later in the hour. Meanwhile, switching gears, shares of Tesla revving higher today after Canaccord said the company is gearing up for an electric year. It is our call of the day. Canaccord says the rush to electric vehicles will push Tesla's stock price to 515 a share. That's the highest target on the street and more than 20 percent above its current level. We just heard from the analyst behind that big call, and here's how he justified that 515 target. If we look at the momentum coming into this year, we see several positive factors that we frankly didn't have last year. And so when we look at that and we kind of add up what they're going to be introducing um, and the fact that many of the bearish signals are not there uh, this year, um, that's really what gives us our bullish stance. So, Karen, what should I do with Tesla? Buy it? Hold it? What? I don't know. It's been too volatile. It's not my kind of thing, just on valuation. I read his piece. I mean, he's very, very optimistic on top line, right? He's way above the street on revenue growth. And so, I mean, he really believes in the evolution of the story. I, the thing that is working well in Tesla to me is the, the part of Tesla that bears loved was they're going to need to raise more money. They're going to need to raise more money. With the stock up here, not only do they, could they raise more money in the equity market, but their convertible debt will convert to equity, that won't be dead anymore. Yeah. So there's a self-fulfilling virtuous cycle kind of of as the stock goes up, that those issues fade. And if one of the bear's legs is pulled out from under them, I don't know. What do you do maybe, with a one-legged so, bear? It's so I don't tough know. to have an edge in the stock. When you look at a level, um, Dan and I saw the same level back from 2016 to 2019 around the 176, 185 level where you could play for a technical bounce. What I love about the stock is on an RSI relative strength index, it does work off overbought pretty quickly. It took 9%, and that's nothing in this stock, for it to unwind an overbought status and then ramp right back up again. It's currently overbought, so maybe it does pull back a little, but some technical overshoot levels in this name bring you up to around these price targets. So it's not unreasonable to think if the company doesn't have a debt issue, as Karen alluded to in the beginning, that you can see some of these really high lofty prices. I always, it's always perplexed me that, that in, the, in the field of electric vehicles, it seems like it is Tesla and almost nobody else. But I keep yeah. hearing that others well, are right. in the game. <laughs> well, they are, and they're going to be. I mean, Audi's got a really nice... Hey, listen, I think you have to go back to this. These guys are going to maybe sell 380,000 cars this year. They're going to build that, okay, yeah. and they're going to sell them. In the U.S., the average selling price of a car is like $35,000. The next leg of growth for them is in China. The average price there is, is $15,000, okay? I have a, a deposit down on a Ford Mustang Mach-E that's going to be delivered in the fourth quarter of 2020. That's kind of excitement. They really haven't had a lot of competition, at least from cars that you know in love. It's a new sort of thing. So listen, at the end of the day, it's got a $77 billion market cap that is basically equal to Ford and GMs, two companies that basically sell $270 billion worth of cars. That's 10x of what 
uh, Tesla's supposed to do this year. So there's a lot built in here. You can talk about that balance sheet. They're a recession away, at least from not selling cars on the average selling price of well over what they are here in the U.S. and all around the world. And then that balance sheet maybe comes into question. So to me, I, I just don't know. I've been wrong for probably since 180, Steve. Uh, n- not since 180, but for a long time. I just think it's a really tough stock to buy. If you're buying it at 420 for 520 at this point, I think a lot of the good news is in it right now. All right, we're going to leave that one there. For more on that big bullish call on Tesla, head over to our website, CNBC.com. And here's what else we've got coming up on Fast. Chinese regulators making a surprise move that sent shares soaring overseas. How the decision will shape investment opportunities in the region this year. Plus, flying high. The call that's got investors in United Airlines sitting pretty today. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street closing at new all-time highs today, thanks in part to a big rally overnight in China. The Shanghai Composite, the Shenzhen Composite, and the FXI China Large Cap ETF all soaring on this first day of trading of 2020. That's all the words I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> CNBC's Beijing correspondent. We're happy to have you here, Eunice Yoon. Oh, thank you very Tell much. Tell us what's behind these moves. What's well, going know, the, on? Well, China's in, Chinese investors were really excited overnight, uh, mainly yeah. because the uh, Chinese central bank had decided to um, cut the amount of money, uh, cash, that banks are required to have on hand by 50 basis points. So that was effectively injecting about $110 billion into the financial system. And this happened a little bit earlier than people had expected. Everybody was thinking that the, that the central bank was going to make this move, but it was ahead of the, the Lunar New Year holiday, which normally sees these types of cash and liquidity injections. Um, but it was an indication to analysts that we are going to see more targeted cuts to come. And then add to that, um, the uh, Beijing leadership has been indicating that stabilizing the economy is a major priority for 2020. And a large part of that is because in 2021, uh, there is going to be a big party for the Communist Party because it's the 100th anniversary for um, for the government. And um, at that time, they have promised um, that the um, that that the country will have a moderately uh, well-off society, and by that they mean doubling the GDP and the per capita GDP from 2010 by 2020. So people take that to mean as six percent growth for 2020, and making sure that the the economy is going to be stable. So sti- this was a first move of stimulus. More to come, in all likelihood. Yes, very much. Uh, more more to come. Um, well, was targeted. It wasn't, it wasn't a first move. This is this no, is no, 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 no. This is the eighth time. They've been doing it for quite for, some time. For you know a year, two years, or whatever the number yeah. is. This is the eighth time they've done it. Do you find when you look at the growth that China has mm-hmm. is enviable for the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. But when you look at it compared to China to itself, yeah, and you start to see the lowest growth in 30 years. Is there any panic that goes on in China? And do they say, how how do we keep this thing, how do we keep this train on on the tracks? Because it's just not enough for the world anymore. Well, well, for years, uh, people in China were used to the double-digit growth, right? So when it started ticking below double digits, there was already some panic. And now that it's gone down to 6%, even though it's a big number in most countries, uh, there is concern about what this means. And a lot of that is because the way Chinese government officials have traditionally been um, rated and measured uh, by their success for a lot of different things, including promotions. It's, it's all on the economic targets and meeting economic targets. So the government has been trying to move away from that, but it's still very prevalent within the bureaucracy. 
How big is the trade? You know, we'd spent months <laughs> talking about the trade deal here. How, yeah. how much is it a, a topic of conversation in China? It's a big topic of conversation. Um, I don't think it's the main reason why the economy is slowing down, but uh, there is concern about what this means. I mean, even uh, it's affecting, it's been affecting consumer sentiment uh, more recently where people would say, oh, well, this isn't, you know, I can't find something in the grocery store, so mm-hmm. it must be because of the trade mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there is, and, and especially within the manufacturing sector, yeah. there's, there's a lot of concern about what this means. Yeah. Stick around while we pivot to uh, Chinese tech stocks. Some of those stocks did very well today. Well, I think you just said it. I mean, the consumers, this is a move geared towards consumers. So when you look at the outperformance, it's in Baidu, it was in Alibaba, it was in Tencent. I mean, these are all names that I think that a lot of investors would say without the trade war, they would have been higher year over year. And so let's start off the year with them up five, six, seven percent. That doesn't sound like a, a great way to start the year. But with that sort of confidence, I think Eunice mentions the fact that, listen, this is a one party system over there. They will do what it, I'm going to answer Steve's question. Takes, right? They will do what it takes to keep the train on the tracks. It's just that simple. It seems like it's that that Fed put we had here Mm -hmm. from a few years back. And if they're just going to keep cutting or doing whatever they have to do, I mean, then you can't argue with it. It's just sort of a gravitational pull upward. But how much of today's move is anticipating the future stimulus rather than what just happened? Um, I think that I, I think a lot of it is having to do with the, the future stimulus. I mean, even though it's targeted, there's still a debate going on in China as to exactly what that means, because the government understands the overhang and the problems from uh, stimulating too much, but at the same time, they don't want this train to go off the tracks. Right. So that's why people are expecting that there will I'll, be more I'll give stimulus. You, I'll give you one other thing that. When everyone says that China is in a better position on a negotiating front, China doesn't like to lose. And when you start to see the supply chains, granted, these are long-term events that takes a while to turn the ships around. But whether it's incremental or 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 percentage-wise or more more than enough to move the needle, they don't want to lose that. So they have a vested interest in getting this deal done. Before they lose an Apple, even incremental, or someone else, it's about 30 or 40 names that are starting to do it already. Yeah, there's definitely a concern that they're going to lose jobs because jobs are the main priority there for the leadership. And so they don't want to see the, the um, manufacturing sector or the supply chain start to leave in any meaningful way. That said, in China, as you guys were pointing out, it's a one-party system. And um, so the political factor is also really important. And if the government and President Xi in particular decides that um, it's just, you know, it's, it's worth the financial and economic pain in order to make a larger point for a long-term um, economic future, then, then they're just going to go ahead and deal with the pain. Well, Eunice, it's great to have you here in person. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know what's so cool is what? that there's no transmission delay. When, when <laughs> I, I talk to you, you answer immediately. <laughs> and it's great because I know who's talking to you me. Know who's talking Sometimes to you. I hear yeah, voices in my head and I think, are they talking to me? <laughs> you know, Come back and, and spend lots of time with us, will you? It's <laughs> great you. to see you. Sticking with uh, China, one options trader just made a big bet that a Chinese internet name could rally nearly 20%. Mike Go is in San Francisco with the options action. What are you seeing, Mike? 
Yeah, so we did see above average volume in most of the Chinese depository shares like Baidu and Baba, unsurprisingly. The name I was looking at was JD, which saw four times the average daily call volume. And the trade that stuck out to me that I thought was rather interesting was a purchase of the June 42 calls, a single print of over 800 of those trading for just under $1.60. The buyer of those calls is obviously making the bet that JD is going to go above that strike price by the premium that they paid by June expiration. That would represent an increase in the stock price of at least 18% over the course of the next five months or so. But if we take a look at the stock price, unlike U.S. shares, we can see it's still well below the multi-year highs that it saw a couple years ago. And if we take a look at the options premiums, we'll notice that those are actually approaching multi-year lows. So the options are cheap. Stock is obviously making a run. This is an intelligent way to make a bullish bet if you think that the rally in these shares could continue based on what we were just hearing. All right, Mike, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And for more options action, you can catch our live show tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I will be here for that, so you should be too. Coming up, biotech stocks are coming off one of their best years ever. And we have the one chart that says that could continue into 2020. But first, Dan Nathan has taken the mound to pitch his next big idea, why he thinks this particular cloud company could be ready for a breakout. We'll bring you that name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, and it is time for a fast pitch tonight. Dan's got his head in the clouds. That's because he says this cloud stock could break out to new all-time highs. He's at the Plasma with more. Hey, Dan. Yeah, hey, Tyler. Let's call this, we call it Fast Money, Fast Pitch. It's going to be a fast trade. I think this is a kind of a catch-up trade into the new year. Obviously, tech has gotten off to a really good start, um, you know, maybe almost doubling the performance of the broad market just today, the NASDAQ Composite. Let's look at Salesforce. This is an interesting name to me because, obviously, it's widely thought of as a high-growth, high-valuation name, doing a lot of really uh, innovative things uh, in, in, a, in a business where they have some structural tail wins for probably decades to come. But this is one of the most loved stocks in the entire mega cap here. There are 39 buy ratings, only three holds and no sells. The average 12-month price target on this thing is 190. And I think that's kind of pretty interesting, um, especially when you consider the fact that this would almost be a catch-up trade. The Salesforce was up 19% last year, that on a year where the NASDAQ was up, almost double that. And one of the reasons, obviously, investors are kind of focused on valuation here. The company's made a lot of big acquisitions over the last few years to kind of get that growth. So some investors are kind of questioning that strategy. That being said, they got one of the best in the entire business, the CEO of this company, um, or co-CEOs, actually. Um, The last point I want to focus on why this is more of a trade over the next, let's say, few months, uh, or actually a few weeks to a couple months here, is the technical setup is really interesting. And I want to go to the the charts here real, real quickly, okay? This thing has obviously been consolidating. It's been the better part of last year between one 145 and 165. It's back up at that level here. It started off the year pretty well, um, up 2%, mildly breaking out here. Um, But I want to go, let's look at the five-year chart. You see that this is almost a near two-year consolidation. There's been a nice uptrend. The uptrend actually comes from the prior consolidation, where the thing had been kind of moving along in a tight range, but then you saw 100% appreciation. So when I think about what's going on in the market here, if we're going to continue to see a melt 
up and people are going to reach for high valuation, high growth things for beta, Salesforce is going to break out. Now, obviously, to me, do you want to buy every chart that looks like a breakout? Probably not. This is the last chart here. This is implied volatility, the price of options in Salesforce.com. That's telling you at two-year lows that to define your risk and maybe use a call or a call spread to play for that breakout above 165, maybe targeting something 175, 180 makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Or you buy it with a tight stop. And I just make one last point to the downside. That uptrend that's been in place for the last year is down towards 145. That's where it was a couple months. That's probably your risk near term. So to me, I like this play for a fast pitch breakout here for maybe a few weeks to a couple months. You have a question? Yes, I do. So uh, last quarter, the stock ran up into earnings. They actually put out a pretty good quarter, and yet the stock traded down. So do you think we're going to have to wait, I think, to March 2nd for them to report that could happen again, or you would be out before that? That could happen again. I, I really do think that, Karen, this is a breakout trade playing for 10% over the next few weeks before you get any real guidance. All right, let's go to the vote right now. Uh, Mr. Grasso, what do you think of Dan's pitch? Are yeah, you, I like the pitch. Are you pitch. a buyer? I like the pitch. I'm going to say buy it on this, and, and I like where he was talking about the technicals on the trade because it's banging up against resistance, and this has been long-term resistance in the stock. So if you're playing it for a 10% move, why don't you just wait until it breaches that 170 mark? Then I would give it the all-clear to be buyer. Karen. Yes, I like the tr- actually. So the, actually, it's a cloud here with a buy and a small, nice a small calls nice by calls, little calls. I like Good the art strategy. Good yes, Savita is recused from this, so we'll give you a pass on that. All right, thanks, Dan. Thanks very much. The desk is spoken. Now it is your turn. Are you buying the pitch on Salesforce? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results of the poll a little bit later. Meantime, coming up, biotech stocks pulling back a bit after their stellar 2019 run. But what is in store for the sector now that we have started the new year? We will answer that one. Plus, after underperforming last year, is United Airlines ready to fly high? Find out next, more fast into. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on Insight Pharma, the stock dropping in after hours after the company failed to meet its goal in a key drug trial. But it has been a hot couple of months for the broader biotech area. And our next guest says there's still more room to run. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd? Hey, Tyler. Uh, yeah, let's take a look at biotech. And we were looking at two different ETFs to, to make the case. We're looking at the IBB and the, X, and the XBI. One point that I would make is the, is the XBI is a equal weighted. It consists of lots of different biotechs where the IBB is cap weighted. And the point there is if you take a look at the lower part of the chart here, we're looking at XBI relative to IBB. What you see here is a little bit of underperformance, meaning what's happening is XBI right now right now is underperforming IBB. So you are actually seeing a little bit of kind of large cap biotech outperforming, much like we're seeing in the broader market. So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, it is underperforming the broader S&P. We have not made a new high. Um, that XBI is still caught below the 100 mark. So we need to see the index move above there for biotech truly to be back. Two names that we're looking at, Exact Sciences is number one, and there's some pretty exact technicals in here, which I think are amazing here. So if you look at three main pullbacks here over the last two years, watch this, 42%, 41%, 39%. And they say the markets are just driven by fundamentals. There's a lot of technical rhythms and patterns in here. So we're seeing three equal leg, pull, equal leg pullbacks. We dip below the 200-day. 
If you zoom in here, um, there's a little bit of an inverse head and shoulders. Again, if we can launch up through there, history would show this is a viable pullback. This was a high-flying stock last year. I like it. I'm going to look to add exact sciences through 100. Um, the other one is uh, a little bit less of an urgent play, which is Regeneron. Um, longer term here, we could see sort of a nice classic three trend wave pattern. There's one consolidation, big breakout. We've seen a lot of consolidation in Regeneron. The market models that we follow, Dow and Elliott, would suggest there is another move to go. This is the weekly. If you get down to the daily chart, you got to wait for this one to break. Um, again, if you just draw your trend line here, you're certainly We'll find buy stops above the $400 region. So if you've been looking for biotech in Regeneron, oops, that's supposed to be a dollar sign, but you get the point through 400. That would be the point, I think, to add uh, Regeneron. All right, Todd, thank you very much. Uh, Savita, without going into particular stocks, yep. uh, what, what, what is your overall thinking about either biotech or the healthcare area in particular? Healthcare is big and broad. Yeah. Biotech, just one part of it. Yeah, I mean, look. If you're, if you're going to buy and hold for the next decade, there is nothing wrong with healthcare and there is nothing wrong with biotech. I mean, we're moving into this brave new world where there are going to be more grandparents than grandkids for the first time in human history. I mean, people are old today. Like, the percentage of, of the, uh, the retiree population, not you, yeah. I'm talking about retirees here. Um, but retirees. The rest are, of the old people, not you. <laughs> <laughs> Retirees are basically outnumbering toddlers. This yeah. is the first time that we've ever seen this happen. So healthcare is a play for the long term. I just worry about two things in the near term. First, the election, mm-hmm. because there's still a lot of negative headline risk around healthcare overall. And you know, if you look back to 2016, you didn't want to buy healthcare until the day of the election. It was mm-hmm. no generalist wanted to step in front of those negative headlines. And then the second risk is that there's been a lot of new supply. So the IPO activity for healthcare has been aggressive. Healthcare is the only sector where the number of IPOs outpaces the percentage of share count reduction. So the supply demand story for healthcare doesn't look as good as it does for other sectors where they're actually taking out meaningful. Interesting. Uh, and, and if you are to invest in this, exactly. I, I know I can't pick the individual winners. I have to buy the IBB. And if you look at Biogen, they have an Alzheimer's drug. If you look at Vertex, they have a cystic fibrosis drug. Buy the IBB if you're going to dabble in this space. Much safer. Coming up, it's been a turbulent year, or was a turbulent year for United Airlines, but one Wall Street firm says a rally is ready to take off. We'll explain that one. Plus, here's a look at our Kramer cam. There's Jim decoding some of Wall Street's wackiest jargon. You, we will, you'll be talking credit default swaps Before you know it, be sure to catch that coming up at the top of the hour on MAD. And welcome back to Fast Money. Check out United Airlines gaining some altitude today after an upgrade at Evercore. Analysts bumping the stock's rating to outperform, citing an attractive valuation relative to its peers. So is United all clear for takeoff? Karen, you have some thoughts here. I, yeah, I take that as kind of attractive valuation relative to its peers. That's a nice way of saying you've underperformed and been <laughs> underperformed, crappy for a while. But they've actually outperformed as a stock. The valuation, is, the valuation makes it attractive because not only have they operationally outperformed, now you can buy it cheaper relative to uh, maybe American might be cheaper at this point. But one of the things they also cite is a potential credit card, a credit card deal 
And when Delta announced their American Express deal, that was very good for the stock. So that would be sort of a bump that we're not really expecting. But I like the space. I, I, I mean, it is cheap. Obviously, we know it's a hugely cyclical space. But the valuations, I think, are still very attractive. Airlines, transports, got any yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think they look good. I would say airlines as a consumer play looks attractive. The U.S. consumer has never looked better. Um, you know, oil prices seem fairly contained. So I, I think this is a great way to look for value. I mean, I think that 2020 is going to be a year where value outperforms growth and airlines fit in that in that pocket. 20 seconds. Any final thoughts? Yeah, Delta, to me, when you look at investment-grade airlines, you have Delta uh, basically stands alone there. You have Southwest. I'm actually long spirit save i'm up about 10 or 15 percent there that was a laggard that's an underperformer and i think that moves higher to a couple of upside strike prices in that name as well save all right we're going to leave it there for and when we come back we will have our final trades all right welcome back to fast money everybody it's time to find out if you bought dan's fast pitch on salesforce it was close and it turns out you did. You agreed. 53% wow. agreed wow. with Dan. Congratulations. That's a good start. We're going to have a new relationship, well me and the viewer, this year in 2020. An argument well made. Time for our final trade. Let's go around the horn. Mr. Grasso, you get to go first. So I'm a firm believer in the year end and the way the year begins. People start to position themselves properly or the way they want to be positioned. So I'm long GE. GE's up about 10% from the low on the eve to today's close, and I think it moves even higher from here. Remember what I said, $20 in 2020 GE. Savita, got to go quick. Okay, I like financials. U.S. financials is my favorite sector for 2020. It was my favorite sector in 2019, and I think it's just getting started. It is the most hated sector in the S&P. Most hated, Karen. I'm going with Target. Retail suck today, but I still love Target. I didn't mean to say most hated Karen. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, wait, most hated Dan, most buyer hated TLT. Dan. Yeah. All right, good. Thanks very much. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now.